Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Our final sermon in this series before we uh, get ready to look at the book of Colossians going forward. But uh, one more sermon here in James 1. And this morning we'll look at verses uh, 19 to 25. Um, Tim mentioned earlier, we, we did get back from a shepherd's retreat, and it was an awesome time, uh, especially for me to get to know so many of the leaders that you have, and uh, in particular, I spent a lot of time with Tim, and so South, you guys are in really, really good hands. Crazy hands, but good ones. Uh, Tim is, is awesome, so grateful for him and his ministry, and thank him for leading us this morning in scripture reading. Uh, James 1, that's where I want you to focus your attention this morning. And the word of God reads as follows. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word. In your word, there is hope. In your word, there is life. And in your word alone, there is assurance. And so, God, even as we ask this question today, how can we know that we are saved? to recognize that every ounce of assurance comes from regarding, believing, and holding fast to your word. Both the truth that you've revealed in your scriptures and also the word that you made incarnate, Jesus, our sure and steady anchor. Help us to hold fast to him and help us to live a life that reflects that we trust him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe like me, uh, you like ducks. Yeah, there are a couple nods. A couple of you don't care. It's all right. I like ducks. Um, and, you know, when we go on walks and stuff with our kids, we like to kind of watch them go. And you always see the same thing. It's a mama duck being followed by six billion little ducks. And I wondered, why do they do that? How do they know to do that? And came up with something that I didn't know before. Apparently, there's a thing called duck imprinting. Do you know that? I had no clue. Just thought ducks wake up and they follow their mom, but that's not how it works. Uh, The reason a baby duck, a duckling as you might call it, follows its mom with such intention is because of what they call imprinting. And there's a crucial season. In fact, it's only 13 to 14 hours of this duckling's life, that when it's born, 
hatched. It looks upon its mama, gazes upon its mama, remembers its mama, never forgets its mama, and now it knows that forever it should follow its mama. That's how baby ducklings work. Now, it's crazy because if you get a baby little egg, duck egg, duckling egg, you were to bring it home, where I would assume there are no other ducks, but maybe you have ducks, but I would assume there aren't any other ducks. If you brought that little egg home and you let it hatch, and that duckling looked upon you and studied you for the next couple hours, the thing that duck will do for the rest of its life is follow you. That's called imprinting. It's the way that they work. They don't just follow mama duck because it's mama duck. They follow because they study her, they know her, and then they say, this is exactly where I need to be the rest of my life. They would do that for a mama duck. They would do that to you. In fact, there are studies that show they would do it for a red Lego. If a baby duckling was born, sorry, hatched, I know how ducks happen. If they were hatched and all that was in front of them was a little red Lego, wherever you took that thing, it would follow. It's called imprinting. That's how it works. And I think the lesson for us is there's something about a baby duck that teaches us that beholding is the essence of following. In order for that duckling to get somewhere, in order for that duckling to move somewhere, it beholds something and it says, it's worthy of me following it, right? And that's so true of us. And I don't think all of us understand it because typically when it comes to following, we think it's simply us wanting to do a bunch of things and wanting to get around to doing a lot of things that we want. And that's not necessarily how life works, Whether you're a Christian or not, you do the things that you do because you love to do them. And what I want to encourage you in, and what even James encourages us in this morning, is that to walk in obedience to Jesus, to live a life that is truly one that's been made new by the power of the gospel of Christ, it's not just you getting up and going. You have to behold him. And then what's true is this, if you behold Jesus, you will follow Jesus. There is no in-between. You can't behold him and then choose to follow in your own way and call yourself a Christian. It doesn't work that way. If you behold him, you show that you love him by determining to follow him. As you have seen him and as you have known to love him, then you will give your life to him. That's what Christianity is. It isn't a moment in which you pray and say, I give my life to Christ and I know that he saved me, but then I want nothing else to do with him. A lot of us want that from Jesus. We want the privilege and blessings of salvation without ever living out its implications. We want to know that we're saved, but we don't want to live like it. And that's why we wrestle with this issue of assurance so much. If you're like me, I'm a Christian, I know that I am, and I'm, and I'm certain of it because of Jesus. But I also still have sins. I also still have struggles. I also still have temptations. And those things will weigh you down and make you ask that question, how is it possible that I am saved? 
And that's what we want to tackle this morning. We want to be assured that we are saved. And in order to do so, we want to find that assurance in the way that the Bible tells us to. What we'll learn in James 1, verses 19 to 25 is this. Here's your big idea. Faith in God is always marked by faithful obedience to God's word. Faith in God is always marked by faithful obedience to God's word. Obedience has never saved anyone. But in Christ, obedience has always been the picture of true and genuine faith. You could never do enough to get yourself into heaven. You could never earn that for yourself. You could never gain it. You could never merit it. There would never be a point in your life where you obey so much that God says, you know what? He deserves it. It's not true. However, someone who has given their life to Christ and recognized his mercy and received his grace and has reflected upon his love will always choose to walk in obedience. Not because it saves, but because they've been transformed. And so I want you to measure your life in that way. I don't want you to measure obedience as some kind of thing that works in your account with God. I want you to measure your obedience as the kind of faith that you really have. In James 2, James would go on to say, So also, verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And a lot of us cringe because we go, isn't it by faith alone that we get into heaven? Isn't that how we trust in Jesus? Absolutely. I think James would agree with you. In fact, so much so that if you're understanding what he says, it's this. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, isn't faith. That's what James is telling us. Works are the demonstration of the faith you have been given. Obedience is an opportunity by which you demonstrate that God has worked in your life. That the work of salvation that has been poured in now bears itself out. We're going to look at that this morning in these words in the book of James. And we're namely going to look at these in two ways. One, we're going to think about receiving the word of God And two, how we respond to the word of God, responding to the word of God. These are our two objectives this morning. Let's begin here in James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here it seems as James has made a turn, right? He goes from discussing what we've already looked at, the sinful nature of man, how man can be brought out of that sinful nature only by God establishing a new heart in a person's life by the word of truth, the truth that is the gospel, which should make us a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, right? Know this then. If that's true, every person should be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why these things? How does that connect at all to new life in Christ? How does that connect at all to the argument he's making about our nature and the salvation that we've received by his own volition and being brought forth in the word of truth? Well, I think it's this. James is beginning to make a shift into that reality. That if you have been made new, we should see it. And one of the easiest ways in which we demonstrate that we have been made new is by the way we speak, the way we listen, and the way that we get angry. Let every person be quick to hear. Someone who's been changed is someone who's patient. Patient in the way that they listen. Patient in the way that they speak. And patient in the way that they boil. Patient in the way that they let themselves get frustrated, angry, disappointed, disgruntled. And some commentators kind of argue back and forth. Is he talking about the way that we relate to other people? Some would think that this has a relationship actually to how you deal with God's word. And I would actually present to you, I think it has a little bit of both. It's kind of irrelevant who's on the other side. What's relevant is the manifestation of your heart. Are you someone who's willing to listen first, speak second, and someone who's willing to put aside your desires so as not to get angry in a sinful way? James is pointing at some very practical things here, right? Because these practicalities aren't just simply things we do. They represent what's going on inside of us. Someone who doesn't have a regard for listening well, whether it be God's word or whether it be other people. Someone who's always speaking up over everyone else, whether it be God or whether it be other people. And someone who's consistently angry, whether it be with God's will or with other people, is someone who isn't marked by the change that's supposed to be happening in their life as a so-called Christian. How do we know that? Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our natural inclinations, the ways that we naturally respond to things, have never got us any closer to God. And so we would be kidding ourselves to think that if we believed in Jesus, we could go on living in the way that we did before and be right with him. That's not how this works. When you believe upon him in love and in trust, full dependence, you will want to then live for him. And your natural desires don't ever lead to that. There's a lot of, God, there's a lot of Genesis imagery that goes back and forth in this book. And you understand how anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God very quickly after the incident in the garden, right? As soon as Adam and Eve are cast out, there are two brothers. Brothers which should be one of the most natural and loving relationships in the whole world. You have the same parents. You share blood. You're, you're, you're one with each other in some way here. You're family. And the very first thing that we start reading in Genesis chapter 4 is that one brother, in his anger, kills another brother. Anger has never gotten us any closer to God. 
our natural instincts, the way that we're wired, our sinful tendencies, they don't get us any closer to God. And if you're someone who has claimed to know Jesus, if you're someone who would claim to know God's love and his salvation, then you need to look like it. You need to let your life bear witness to what your mouth has borne witness to. What does that look like? Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, which is able to save or all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What's the antidote for living for self? Well, it would be living for God, right? And in order to do that, you not only need to put away certain things, you need to put on other things. Don't be someone who's quick-tempered. Don't be someone who's always shouting over everyone else. Don't be someone who's quickly triggered and angered and has a short fuse because your life is so wrapped up on you. Live for God. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And instead of receiving more of what you want, receive with meekness, gentleness, humility, the word of God. Filthiness and rampant wickedness here. There's an image that's actually being created for us. This word filthiness is actually a word that relates to uh, something you all know and I don't think admire. Um, We would call it earwax. Kind of grody, right? Um, If that's building up over long periods of time in your ears... I think it'd be really hard to hear. It'd also be really hard for the rest of us to see. We don't want to see that. But that's kind of the image that James is bearing out here. When we live in the world's tendencies and with the world's nature and as creatures who have supposedly been born again, we continue to allow that filthiness to be in our hearts. It makes it a lot harder for you to hear. It makes it a lot harder for you to receive the word of God, which is pure and able to save your souls. If you're going to hear God and if you're going to allow God to work in your life, you're going to need to get rid of the things that get in the way. As Hebrews tells us, that's every weight. That means things that are in your life that aren't necessarily sinful, but aren't really helpful. And it's also the sinfulness in your life, rampant wickedness, right? It's those things that block God out. And in our lives, we will wrestle with that over and over again. And so we need this word over and over again, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Get rid of those things that aren't helping you in your walk with him. And get rid of those things that you know for a fact are destroying your walk with him. Put them away. And unlike other passages that we know, we've seen this before, Colossians, Ephesians, it's put off and put on, right? You've heard these things before. You need to put off the old self and you need to put on the new self. It's interesting because James goes a different direction. Put off filthiness and rampant wickedness, and it isn't immediately put on. It's receive. 
Anyone who's going to put on a life of righteousness will only do so because they've received it as a gift. That's where James is heading here. Put away all those things that would distract you or alienate you or ruin your relationship with God and then receive, take in, grab a hold of, accept with meekness, humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away the things that are distracting you from listening to God and to listening Him listening to him clearly, and receive his word. It's an answer to a prayer that Jesus has already prayed for us. Jesus asked that we would be sanctified in the truth and that his word is the truth. That's guaranteed for us. That's secured for us. And every person who has believed upon him in faith lives in this way. I don't want sin anymore. I don't want distractions from God anymore. I want to receive God's word because it and it alone is able to save my soul. The beauty of this is that this is a message not just for people to believe for the first time. In fact, James is writing to a group of believers. This is a message for you. If you're here today and you have claimed to know Jesus, The word of God that has saved you in faith is the word of God that will safely bring you home in the end. That word is a light to your path, a lamp to your feet. At the end of the day, the reason that you will get into heaven is because you've believed on him and you've given yourself to that word day in and day out. You can't believe on God's word for salvation and then not use it for your sanctification. You can't say you trust in Jesus one day and pray a prayer and then not give yourself to that word and dedication and devotion to Christ. This is a word that is able to save your souls. It begins that work by justifying you before him. It makes you right before him. But it also brings that work to completion by guiding you and leading you in this life so that you would know his love, understand his care, and one day fully experience his glory. This is the word that's able to save your souls. My question is, have you received it? If you're someone who believes that you have given your life to Christ, then do you see yourself depending on and relying on, on a consistent basis, the word of God? Does everyone else's word matter to you more than Jesus's? Is it easier for you to believe everything everyone else in the world tells you on a regular basis? Or do you go to God's word as the source of your new life in him? What do you treasure? Do you behold him? Do you commune with him? Do you spend time with him? Do you regularly hear from him? And do you listen to him? Do you allow his word to take root in your heart? That's the image that James draws out here. It's not just that you sit there and you check off a box because you read your Bible today. It's that that word is now written in your heart. That word is like a seed. And when it goes into your heart, it finds a home. It finds a place where it can grow and it can develop and it can become something beautiful, namely your life now hidden in Christ.
Is that reflective of your walk with him? Have you received God's word with meekness? There's a way to find out. And James wants to help us answer that question too. Receive the word with meekness. But secondly, how do you respond to God's word? It's great that you declare your faith in him, but does your life model faithfulness for him? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Because as quickly as James make it so simple for us, right? Receive with meekness the implanted word. That sounds great. That word saves. Amazing. And then we go to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There is a deep-rooted deception that is often amongst God's people. And it isn't just that people hide their sins. It isn't just that people love to do bad things, hood rat stuff with their friends. It isn't just that people are wicked and, and vile and set for destruction. It's that often people sitting in the same seats that you are now often think that's not them. And what's more, people often sit in rooms like this, and maybe this is you today, and you can hear God's word over and over, and you can read it over and over, and you can listen to sermons over and over, and yet your life has never been marked by any change from any of it. That is the greatest deception that plagues the church. It is often not necessarily our wickedness, but it's our belief that we are good enough and we don't need anything from God. And it's our thought that if we at least open our Bible and if we at least come to church and if we heard all these things, then we'll just be all right. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Someone who listens a lot and never changes has probably never listened to begin with. It goes in one ear and out the other. And some of you are living in that reality right now. James paints a picture of your life here. Verse 23. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. To paint the picture for you, James talks about a man looking in the mirror, of which I would assume most of you did that this morning before you came here. Yeah, kind of. I I think so, because none of you are still in pajamas, praise God, unless you do go to sleep like this, you need pajamas then. All of you, your your hair is kind of done. Some of you hid the zits. All of you brush your teeth, praise God. Um... You look like you got ready for the day. And I would assume that most of that's because you took a look in the mirror after you woke up and you were like, I need help. I mean, you're so used to that when you wake up in the morning, you don't even say that anymore. You just know. You look in the mirror like, yep, that's me. That's, That's the one. That's the guy. But all of you did something about it. Because when you looked in the mirror, you said, I'm not ready to go to church. I'm not ready to see my friends. I need to do something about this. 
It would be insane if you woke up in the morning and you looked incredibly crazy for you to just go about your business like nothing's happening. That's what James is saying. Anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's someone who looks in the mirror intently, takes a good look, gets a good picture, and says, I'm okay. He looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. In other words, it's for you to look in the mirror and to behold the true state of yourself, one that's in constant need of Jesus, and to turn around and say, I don't need him. I don't, I don't have any inclination to desire or need God today. I'm fine. I'm good, just like I am. And if that's you, you've got it all wrong. Every look we've ever taken into a spiritual mirror has reflected that we need Christ. You needed him once to be saved. You need him forever to be changed. God is doing a work that will transform you to be more like his son. And those who have seen the truth and beheld the glories of the gospel in God's word, they don't leave it and go, I don't need this. Or they don't just sit there and take it all in as some kind of mental note. No, it's something that goes into the heart. And it changes every, every ounce of who you are. The very fiber of your being is made new because of Christ. When you receive his word, it then bears itself out in the way that you live. Jesus says it this way. John 13, Jesus is teaching and Many are pretty disgruntled with all the truth and the claims that he has to say about himself. And he says, well, look, I I don't just want you to believe these things. He says in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Similarly, in Luke 11, 28, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What does God's word do in you. Because if I'm remembering correctly, God's word has told us that it's living and active. It isn't some kind of thing that just sits there and doesn't do anything in you. God's word is the most powerful thing in the entire universe. It has taken hearts of stone and made them hearts of flesh. It has taken dead things and made them alive. And then the question is, would you take God's word and keep on living in deadness? It's impossible. Those who have believed upon the Lord, seen him in his word for who he is, a savior who loves and sanctifies, will not only sit here and take good sermon notes, they will think about, And go about the rest of their day hoping that that word sticks true in their heart and bears itself out in their lives. You want to be what it tells us here in James 1.25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, someone who will be blessed in their doing. And these words don't come to us from 
James first and foremost. These words that James writes in verse 25, they're words that mimic what we already know to be true in Jesus. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, so he says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is someone who looks in the mirror, and now not only does he recognize his need, but he sees the perfect law, this law of liberty, a law of freedom, one that we could make very clearly known to be Jesus himself. You're looking to Christ, and you're looking to his life. And when you see Christ, you find freedom. You find hope. Freedom from what? Well, freedom from yourself. Freedom from your sin and freedom from your self-righteousness. If you've been living in the same wickedness your whole life, you need freedom from that. If you've been living in the same sins and doing the same wicked things that you know are offensive to God and offensive to the people around you, you need freedom from that. But what's more, if you've been living in the same self-righteousness your whole life, opening the pages of Scripture and never letting it affect you, if you've been sitting here for a long time doing this act because you want others to stay off your back, that's fine and Guess what? You might win at the end of the day. People will stay off your back. God isn't fooled. He knows your heart better than anyone in this room. And if you want to be free from trying to please other people so that then you can live for God, then you need Jesus. You need to behold him so that you might follow him. If it's a burden for you to follow Jesus, maybe it's because you don't know him. If it's difficult for you to obey Jesus, maybe it's because you don't love him. If this is the biggest challenge of your life to live in a way that honors Christ, I wonder if you even understand the gospel. If obedience is hard for you, it's not the rules. I think it might be the relationship. This is an assessment not just of what we're doing, but who we are. The the, Christian life, it isn't just that you do a bunch of things, but it's that you become someone new. It's no longer that you live to obey rules. It's that you live to be like Christ. There's rules and then there's righteousness. Rules can be obeyed and broken. Righteousness is a lifestyle. And it's one given to us in the gospel of Jesus. And those who have seen him, beheld him, and love him, will follow him all the days of their life. Because when you see that kind of freedom, you know nothing better to do than to stay close to the one that granted it for you. If Jesus has provided for you not only an escape from hell, but an escape from your own desires, and your own sins, and your own lusts, and your own passions, and the very things that you were doing to harm your relationship with him, You don't just owe it to him to see that. You owe it to him to live for him. Live in that. Stay close to him. Be a doer who acts, not a hearer who forgets. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, 
And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Give yourself to Christ and be free. And if you are free in Christ, you love him. You desire to be in relationship with him and you have given yourself to him. Walk in freedom. Walk in that newness of life. Walk as he's called you to be. The, the beauty of it is in, in freedom, this, is, this obedience is not something that you have to do. It's something that you realize you get to do. 1 John chapter 5 puts it for us this way. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him, his people. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our works. doesn't say that. It says this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Your obedience to Christ, it's nothing more than a reflection of your faith in him. And so be a doer of the word because you've truly believed in him. Be someone who lives out the truths that are in the word of God, not because they're there to burden you, but because they're there to help you. Be someone who does what the word says, not simply because you're being told what to do. That's not the point. Be someone who does what it says because you've truly been changed. You've believed on Christ Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's 1 John 5, verse 5. And when you're someone who does what the Word says, this is the promise for you. It's that you will be blessed in your doing. Blessing is yours through obedience. And obedience, not that because it's something that's natural to you and not that because something that you do. And so God reflects that back by giving you something you've earned. No, you're blessed in your doing because Jesus has already done it. You've been asked to obey him and you all know that we're going to be doing that in an imperfect way until we're in heaven. But the glorious truth of the gospel is this. Jesus came lived perfectly obedient to his father and gave his life for sinners so that in him now, not only can we behold him, but we can follow him. That as we look upon the face of Jesus, the one we did not deserve, but the one that we have received by the mercy and grace of God, now we can walk in him. Living lives that aren't necessarily bound to rules, but are bound to a righteous Life in him. Notice what the rules are. And I'll end with this. You all know the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 16 to 24. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. 
because that's liberty. You have been freed from following rules. And you have been freed unto living for God. May your life reflect the one you say you believe. May you do not because it earns you anything, but may you do much for God because God has already done much for you. And may you live for him because in his perfect life, he gave his life for you and now you see that everything you have from him is grace. Even the good things you do for him. Those things are just born out of the reality that God loves you. And so there's no reason for you to boast in yourself and only every reason for you to boast in him. I pray that you would believe in him that way. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that blessing is ours because of Jesus. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Thank you, God, that because of who you are, you have changed who we are. That in the beauty of the gospel, we find not simply some kind of system by which we can try to figure out a new lifestyle and improve ourselves and make ourselves better. That's not the point. The point is that we need to be made new. And so, Lord, if we profess to being made new, help us with clarity to see that we are new. Not only because we hear sermons and get emotionally stirred by them, not only because we read the Bible and it's uplifting, but because when we hear those things and we see those things in your word, it takes root in our heart and it manifests itself in our life. Help us, God, to recognize that we are blessed because though we deserve death, you have given us life in Christ. And truly, We can anchor ourselves in these words that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood that test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessing is born out of love. First, that God has loved us. And secondly, that we have loved you. Thank you that there is no other way to be saved. And thank you, God, that because of this, we can have a full assurance of our salvation because we do what you want and that not out of burden, but that willingly because we've experienced your love. So looking to Christ, knowing him and loving him, help us to be assured that we belong to you even as we look to honor you and please you in the ways that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.